The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Bob was speaking about gods with a little g, and there it is. <clears throat> okay, we're going to do the entire chapter of Leviticus chapter 3 today. This is uh, Leviticus 3, 1 through 17, entitled, The Peace Offering. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 6, if his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord its fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Verse 12. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. Above the kidneys he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. If you really want to get to know someone... You have them over for a meal. It is where the impersonal becomes personal. 
It is where the walls come down, and it is where real fellowship takes place. If God sent Jesus to atone for our sins and nothing else, we would be left with a void in our lives. We could say, I can't wait to get back to Eden, but I'm sorry, the Lord won't be there meeting us. And if the process ended with our sanctification, we would still have a void. It sure is great that we're going to be in paradise, and it sure is great that we aren't living the lives we did before when we were on earth, but it sure would be nice if the Lord would come by and just spend some time with us. But we don't have to worry about that. We already have him coming by, and he will be coming by in an even more intimate way some wonderful day in the future. There has been a logical sequence of offerings so far in the book of Leviticus. First was the burnt offering where our life is given up wholly to the Lord. It is our coming to Christ and being saved. Chapter 1 explained that in detail. Next, there is the pursuit of that life through the process of sanctification. The grain offering revealed that to us. Through him, our works in the Lord are acceptable. What he did makes it so for what we do. Chapter 2 gave us insights into that. Today, we will see the peace offering. It looks to our fellowship with the Lord as occurring in a most intimate way. Each step takes us through a picture of our own redemption and our life in Christ. The Israelites were given a way of having this personal fellowship with the Lord by coming to him through the offerings that we will look at. They took them to the sanctuary, offered them up, and then received back a portion of what was offered. It showed them that they were, in fact, in fellowship with God. The two partook of the same meal, symbolizing this fellowship. But that was only a taste of the greater fellowship which lay ahead. The Jews could come in fellowship with God, but the Gentiles were left out. There was a wall of separation between the two which prohibited us from drawing near to God. But in Christ, that wall is broken down. Our text verse today comes from Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity." And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, through Christ, we have access, as Paul says, by one spirit to the Father. But just what is the wall that Paul speaks of? Is it that we as Gentiles are granted access to the Father through observance of the law? No, indeed. In fact, exactly the opposite is true. The law did allow a type of access, but it also set up a wall all of its own, restricting that access as well. They could come so far, but no further could they come. Paul explains exactly what the wall and the enmity is. He says it is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The very law which the Israelites adhered to is that wall, and that very same wall is abolished. It's not strengthened. It is true that we have to come to God through the law, but not through our observance of it. Rather, it is through Christ's observance of it. In him, the law is abolished and peace is restored. In him, we now have full and unfettered access to God. This is what is seen in today's verses. It's all to be found in his superior word. 
And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have uh, two thoughts for you today. The first is an offering of the herd. It's verses one through five. Verse one, when is offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering. So far in Leviticus, we have been given the instructions for the burn offering in chapter one and the grain offering in chapter two. We now turn to the shalem or peace offering, which will take the entire chapter as well. The words of this verse correspond to the words of Leviticus one verse three. They both introduce the type of offering to be explained from then on. The shalem is a sacrifice, and it is a voluntary offering of thanks and for alliance and friendship. Hence, the term peace offering is used. Some versions call it a fellowship offering. But the term peace, if understood from a Hebrew perspective, describes it fully. It indicates a state of peace which speaks of harmony, prosperity, happiness, friendship, fellowship, and unity. We can sum it up with the words wholeness and contentment. Whereas the burnt offering looked to a state of atonement and the grain offering looked to the process of sanctification, the peace offering looks to a state of acceptance and interaction. This offering can be equated directly to the Lord's table right here, or communion, as we call it sometimes in the New Testament church. In other words, with Christ as our shalem or peace offering, we are united to him. And thus we have fellowship and communion with God. This is what the peace offering did for Israel. And this is what Christ's peace does for us. There is atonement, sanctification, and then true fellowship. This particular offering was first mentioned in Exodus chapter 20, right after the giving of the Ten Commandments and during the explanation of the earthen altar, which would be used for offerings by the Israelites. These offerings will be mentioned throughout the Old Testament, but the vast majority of times is going to be in Leviticus and Numbers. They are always spoken of in the plural with but one exception, which is found in Amos 5 verse 22. There are actually three kinds of peace offerings which will be defined later. There is the thanksgiving, the vow, and the free will offerings. The time allotted for the eating of the offering is the main thing which defines these three subdivisions. These will be explained later in Leviticus chapter 7. Unlike the two previous chapters, the term most holy is not used here. They will be called holy in chapter 7, but the distinction is given to show that the people, along with the priests, could and did, in fact, partake of the offerings. Verse 1 continues, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female. Here's something new concerning the offerings. Unlike those previously described, these could be either male or female. The two previous ones were solely in regard to God being the best being, and therefore only that which is preeminent was offered. These peace offerings, however, stood in regard to the Lord being the benefactor to his people, and therefore either was acceptable, male or female. This then follows through with what is stated in Galatians 3, verse 28. It says there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is strength and weakness in Christ, strength in his obedience and weakness in his humanity and in his suffering. Together, we fellowship with God through Christ in both our weaknesses and in our strengths. It is for this reason that either a male or a female is deemed acceptable to God. Also, the word for female here is nekevah. 
It was first used in Genesis 1:27 to describe the female as contrasted with the male. It hasn't been seen since Genesis chapter 7, and it will only be found in the books of Moses with but one exception in the entire Bible, which is in Jeremiah 31, verse 22. Without giving blushing specifics, it is a word which is based on the form which distinguishes a male from a female. Verse 1 continues, He shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Again, like the other two offerings, this one is to be tamim, or perfect, without spot or blemish. It again takes us to a picture of Christ who is described in this manner in 1 Peter 1, verse 19. Nothing defiled is acceptable to the Lord, picturing the perfect and undefiled Christ. Although not yet specified in this chapter, the peace offering is one which is shared between the Lord and his people. Matthew Henry provides his insights into what lies ahead. He says, The peace offerings had regard to God as the giver of all good things. These were divided between the altar, the priest, and the owner. They were called peace offering because in them, God and his people did, as it were, feast together in tokens of friendship. The peace offerings were offered by way of supplication. If a man were in pursuit of any mercy, he would add a peace offering to his prayer for it. Christ is our peace, our peace offering, for through him alone it is that we can obtain an answer of peace to our prayers. Or the peace offering was offered by way of thanksgiving for some mercy received. We must offer to God the sacrifice of praise continually by Christ our peace, and then this shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock. Verse 2, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering. Like the burnt offering, hands are laid upon the head of the offering before it's slaughtered. However, in this case, it would not be for confession of sin and a request for a substitute to die in the place of the offender. Although not explicitly stated, there would be some type of utterance of thanks and praise for being allowed to fellowship through the sacrifice which would take place. It is exactly what we do in the Lord's Supper each and every week, as is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Unlike the burnt offering of chapter 1, there's nothing in these verses that corresponds to the idea of either acceptance or atonement. This offering implies that the offerer is already atoned for and accepted. Joseph Benson, citing a guy named Conradus, gives a wonderful description of the meaning of this gesture here. This laying on of hands signifies devotion and faith with an acknowledgement of the benefits for which we can offer nothing of our own, but only return to God and what we have received that we may understand gratitude and thanksgiving to be the greatest sacrifices. Verse 2 continues, and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The Hebrew here says tent, not tabernacle. The slaying was done at or around the brazen altar, but as noted from previous sermons, the altar and the door are intricately connected as if they're one. By saying it is at the door of the tent, it implies that this sacrifice is what opens access through that door. Verse 2 continues, And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. The Hebrew here says the blood is splashed or scattered around the altar, not sprinkled. The blood was literally cast upon the sides of it. The specificity demands attention. The purpose of this blood being splashed out on the altar expresses one's complete voluntary surrender and readiness to die while yet living. In type, it points to Christ who poured out his blood for us 
allowing us to fellowship with God through him. When we are in Christ, then that same yielding on our part is reckoned as acceptable to God. Fellowship is restored, and our thanks, our vows, and our offerings are deemed acceptable to God once again. But this is only because of the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. This verse begins an even greater divergence from that of the burnt offering than we've already seen. Unlike that, which was wholly burnt up on the altar, this one is not so burnt up. Only a portion from it is burnt up. This particular portion alone is to be by fire. Verse 3 continues, The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. Fat in the Bible signifies abundance. The fat around the entrails then signifies specifically health of life. It's abundance. This is seen, for example, from David in Psalm 63, where he says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Verse 4, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks. Both kidneys with their attached fat were to be removed. The kidney's position within the body of the animal makes it almost inaccessible. When an animal is cut up, there will be the very last organs which are reached. Because of this, the kidneys symbolize the hidden parts of man and thus the mind. The term al-ha-keselim, or by the flanks, is new to scripture here. The kessel is seen just 13 times, and it indicates the loin, which is the seat of the leaf fat. The word is then elsewhere translated as either confidence or foolish. The difference is in how it is applied. It can indicate the place where one puts their hope. This is seen, for example, in Psalm 78, where it says this, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope, that word kassel, in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And it can also indicate that which is foolish. That's in Psalm 49. This is the way of those who are foolish, that word there, and of their posterity who approve their sayings, Selah, like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. Verse 4 continues, And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. The yotaret, or lobe above the liver, was also to be removed from the animal. The liver signifies the seat of emotions and feeling. It's like our heart in English. The liver is in in, uh, Hebrew. It is used synonymously with disposition and character. The fat attached to it is thus representative of the entire liver. In Lamentations, Jeremiah says this, My eyes fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the sucklings faint in the streets of the city. He's pouring out his emotions, in other words. All of this specificity is calling out for us to pay attention to. We are to stop and to question why certain words are demanded and why other things are not mentioned. Verse 5, And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice. Really important words there, which is on the wood that is on the fire. These things from verses 3 and 4 were to be burnt on the altar. The word for burn signifies incense or a fragrant offering. All of these were, as it says, upon the burnt sacrifice. 
In other words, these were placed on top of the continual burnt offering, which was the daily sacrifice of the lamb, which was already on the altar. The burnt offering signifies Christ, our atonement. Upon that then are placed the things which represent the abundance of the very deepest parts of Christ the man, and thus those same things in us who are in Christ Jesus. The fat is the abundance and health of life. The kidneys signify the mind and reasoning. The fat by the loins signifies where one places his confidence. And the fat lobe above the liver represents the emotions and feelings of the person. These then were to be offered to the Lord because they symbolized his most intimate aspects as well as ours. They are the very substance of who he is and of who we are. They are returned to him by fire. They were offered to the Lord for fellowship to take place. And this is the same symbolism that is seen in the Lord's Supper now. Concerning our inward secrets, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. All of this is being pictured in this sacrifice which is being made in these particular parts which are chosen out of there. Sitting on top of the burnt sacrifice is important because there has to be atonement before there is fellowship. And this is the lesson that we're being taught with these sacrifices and the way that they're placed on the altar. Verse 5 continues, As an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. All of these things representing the most intimate aspects of both Christ and of us who are in Christ are returned to God as a sweet incense to him. This is what makes fellowship possible, and this is what is seen in the old and in the new. It all points to Christ and our relationship with God through Christ. An offering to God, an offering for peace, one which signifies fellowship so sweet. It stems from our daily trod, and in Christ it shall never cease, because in him our fellowship is complete. Cleanse us in our inward parts, lead us in your peace. May we join together with you, O precious Lord. Purify our minds and our hearts. May this joy never cease. Through Christ, may we always be in one accord. Thank you for the cross from whence atonement came. Upon that offering, we can now add an offering of peace. Together they point to the same great name. Both look to Jesus where joyous fellowship will never, never cease. Our second thought today is an offering of the flock. It's verses 6 through 17. Verse 6, if his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. The flock consists of both lambs and goats, which will next be described separately. And again, like an animal of the herd, the offering could be either male or female. And also like that of the herd, the animal must be without blemish. As before, the symbolism remains the same. All of it points to Christ. Verse 7, if he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. It is argued that the word translated here as lamb is more rightly translated as sheep. It signifies one full-grown and in its prime. Either way, it is a word used only in the books of Moses to describe them. Verse 8, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. The same process which was followed before with the animal of the herd is followed again here. It is generally believed that the one who is making the offering is also the one who has to kill the animal. 
After he has cut its throat, the priest would stand with a bowl to collect the blood before splashing it out. Again, as before, it is the tent of meeting, not the tabernacle, and it does not say sprinkle, it says splash. Verse 9, then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone. For the sheep, there is an additional note, which is not mentioned for the animal of the herd. Here it mentions the chelbo ha'alya temima, or the whole fat tail. This is only the second of five times that the fat tail will be noted in the Bible. It is described in detail for us by Jameson Fawcett Brown. They say, there is in eastern countries a species of sheep, the tails of which are not less than four feet and one half in length. The tails are of a substance between fat and marrow. A sheep of this kind weighs 60 or 70 English pounds weight, of which the tail usually weighs 15 pounds and upwards. This species is by far the most numerous in Arabia, Syria, and Palestine, and forming probably a large portion of the flocks of the Israelites. It seems to have been the kind that usually bled on the Jewish altars. The extraordinary size and deliciousness of their tails give additional importance to this law. To command by an express law the tail of a certain sheep to be offered in sacrifice to God might well surprise us. But the wonder ceases when we are told of those broad-tailed eastern sheep and of the extreme delicacy of that part which was so particularly specified in the statute. When an animal was offered to the Lord, this especially marvelous part was reserved for the Lord alone, and it was not to be eaten by the priests. There is further specificity concerning it. Not only was it to be the whole fat tail, but then it notes something else, that it was to be removed close to the backbone. This is the only time that the atse or the backbone is seen in the entire Bible. It in turn comes from the word atsa or shut, such as in shutting one's eyes and shutting them firmly. Thus, the backbone is that which gives firmness to the body. Again, this could have simply been left unmentioned and it wouldn't seemingly change a thing concerning the process. And so it is asking us to consider why it is mentioned at all. The word atsa or shut is used only two times in the Bible. Once it is used in Proverbs concerning a person shutting his eyes in order to do perverse things, and the other time is in Isaiah where it says this, this is the purpose that is purposed, that word, atzah, against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. The word speaks of firm and determined purpose, just as the backbone of the animal is firm and fixed. Thus, the fat attached to this is being equated with the firm and fixed purposes of the Lord. It speaks of the resoluteness of Christ completing his work, thus making our fellowship with God acceptable once again. It can be summed up in the words of Luke chapter 9, where it says this, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly or resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. Then as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So that one word in the Old Testament used one time has purpose to point us to Jesus Christ. Each new word comes for a reason. Each unique word such as this is not meant to be skipped over, but considered. In the end, each leads us to a fuller understanding of our own fellowship with God because of the determined work of the Lord on our behalf. Along with this fat tail and all that it signifies, and like the previous animal of the herd, we continue with the following. Verse 9 going on. 
and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. These directions are the same as for the previous animal. Verse 10, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And once again, the same is true with this verse. It states essentially the same thing as was seen before. Though repetitive, it is not unnecessary. As is seen anywhere in human life, if something is not made explicit, then people will find a reason to not follow through with what is stated. The word is being minutely detailed to ensure that everything is followed precisely. Nothing is left to questioning because all of it points directly to Christ. Therefore, the specificity is not at all superfluous. Verse 11, And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Again, the word for burn is one which speaks of fragrance, like incense. The smell to the nose of man equates to the fragrance of Christ to God. But here an additional description is given. It is on the altar as food. The word is lechem, or bread. Thus it is as if bread to God. This is specifically stated to show that as the part that is eaten by the offerer is his food, so the part offered to God is his food as well. In other words, there is a joining together in this meal as if the two are dining at peace with one another. Again, it anticipates the greater and more perfect table set before us because of Jesus Christ. He was, as it were, made an offering by fire to the Lord for and on behalf of us. It is reflective then of the words of Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 12, and if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. The third type of peace offering is the ez or goat. This comes from the word azaz, which means to be strong or to prevail. It is the strong member of the flocking animals. The instructions for the goat are the same as for the ox. And so it can be inferred that either a male or a female is acceptable. The term implies the whole species, whether a he-goat, a she-goat, or a kid. The reason why it is listed separately from the sheep is because the goat does not have that fat tail like the sheep does. Therefore, the specificity was needed in describing that. Verse 13, He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle all its blood all around on the altar. The same procedures as before with the same mistranslations as before. It is the tent, not the tabernacle of meeting, and the blood is splashed, not sprinkled. The most major difference between this and verse 2 is that in verse 2, it's said to kill the animal at the door of the tent of meeting. Here it says, before the tent of meeting. The two mean exactly the same thing. Verse 14, then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. This verse is identical to verse 3 with the exception of the word peace offering. Here it is understood as such, and so that's not repeated. Verse 15, a very curious verse. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. The Hebrew of this verse is exactly letter for letter the same as verse 4 with but one exception. Now, why do I know that? Because I look at these verses and I check every single letter in the verses and see if they compare. And they don't. An additional letter of Vav, which is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is added into the second use of the word kidneys back in verse 4. Despite it being downright perplexing, 
I have no idea as to why. This happens from time to time in the Bible, and there is always, always a reason. This time it escapes me. But I find that downright perplexing. I looked at those two verses side by side, and I counted all of the letters, and right there is one that's added into one word, the second use of kidneys in verse 4. Now explain that to me, please. Send me an email, okay? Verse 16, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. These words are almost identical to what was said in verse 11. Verse 16 going on, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. This is closely related to the words of verse 5. As you can see, there's a pattern which is running back and forth between these three offerings. The words build upon each other and intertwine in a most exciting way, if you like that kind of thing. Though one verse or a part of a verse may differ here, it is still more closely tied over there. The entire passage then merges into one beautiful whole. Each of these three are united into one larger picture of the overall peace offering. Verse 16 continues, all the fat is the Lord's. Kalchalev le Yehovah. All the fat to Yehovah. These final words of verse 16 are given in anticipation of verse 17. The fat signifying that which is best is dedicated solely to the Lord. It is a most wonderful picture of Christ, only the best for the Lord. Understanding this, the law of the fat applies in the specifics given above, and it applies only to those animals given above. In other words, the specific named animals are included in this mandate, but others are not. This is known by other passages where other non-sacrificial animals are mentioned, but the fat isn't. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 12. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat it of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. Secondly, the other fat which is in the animal, which is sacrificed, is not included in this mandate. This is seen in Deuteronomy 32, where the fat of sacrificial animals was eaten, meaning the other parts of fat, except that which was specifically reserved for the Lord. Here's what it says there. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he may eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock curds from the cattle and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine, the blood of grapes. That which is being pictured of Christ is forbidden, and nothing else. This is what we are to learn from these passages. Verse 17, this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. This word is given specifically for the duration of the law of Moses. It is not to be taken as binding in this dispensation. The law of the fat portion is fulfilled in Christ. It is set aside in Christ, and it is annulled in Christ. As with all things, context is king, and the context of the Bible is that the mandates and prohibitions of the law of Moses were only in effect until that same law was annulled in the coming of the new covenant. This is the context, and this is therefore a statute which no longer applies to us. And verse 17 finishes with these words, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Again, this is fulfilled in Christ and it is annulled. However, the New Testament does give continued guidelines during the early church period concerning the drinking of blood. This was for a specific reason, which is defined in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Nothing is ever said of the fat prohibition in the New Testament in any way at all. 
Matthew Henry gives us his insights into these final words of Leviticus chapter 3. Here is a law that they should eat neither fat nor blood. As for the fat, it means the fat of the inwards, the suet. The blood was forbidden for the same reason, because it was God's part of every sacrifice. God would not permit the blood that made atonement to be used as a common thing, nor will he allow us, though we have the comfort of the atonement made, to claim for ourselves any share in the honor of making it. This taught the Jews to observe distinction between common things and sacred things. It kept them separate from idolaters. It would impress them more deeply with the belief of some important mystery in the shedding of the blood and the burning of the fat of their solemn sacrifices. Christ, as the Prince of Peace, made peace with the blood of his cross. Through him, the believer is reconciled to God, and having the peace of God in his heart, he is disposed to follow peace with all men. May the Lord multiply grace, mercy, and peace to all who desire to bear the Christian character. I love that guy. He he just writes with flowers. It's beautiful. As we have seen, this offering, like the previous two, perfectly reflects the ongoing work of Christ, his atonement, his sanctification, his allowing us to fellowship with the Father through him. Though the peace offering appears disconnected from the cross, it is not. It is his cross which grants us the peace which we now have. Isaiah explained that for us long, long before the day came. Here's what he says in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Paul confirms that the cross is what grants us this fellowship in his words of the Lord's Supper. In it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Without the cross of Christ, nothing else can bring us near to God. With his cross, all fellowship, close, personal, and even intimate, is available to us once again. And before we finish and partake of our weekly communion, then, it is necessary to take one more moment to explain how this fellowship comes about for the lost soul, just in case there's somebody watching that has never understood their need for Christ. I explained it during the Prophecy Update. I'll explain it again. As a matter of fact, let me read it so I don't make any error. It's such a simple thing that we need. But the first, the, while I'm looking for this, the first thing we need to remember is that that daily sacrifice of the lamb, the burnt offering, was placed on the altar, first thing in the day. And these offerings were placed on top of that. It's signifying that we are given atonement through Christ, and only then can we fellowship with God. And that's so important for people to remember, because without Christ's atonement, there can be no fellowship. There is a fracture between God and man which cannot be healed by us. Only God can do that. And that daily sacrifice pictured the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so our offering must be placed on top of that. Every one of these details, you know, you read something like this, and it sounds so much like the previous sacrifice. The, uh, the, um, you had the, what, which one was it? We had the um, burnt offering, and then the grain offering, and then this. And each one of them, they kind of seem the same. But when you look at the details, you say, my goodness, look at the little nuances that so clearly picture Christ. And here's what you need to know. It says in um, Romans 10, verse, I'm going to start in verse uh, 8 again, same as I did during the Prophecy Update. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
The implication is that there is no other salvation, and that's also explicitly stated in the Bible. Salvation is found in no other. It's only in Jesus Christ. He is God's one time for all time sacrifice for our sins. And when our sin debt is taken care of, then we can come to God and we can be sanctified as seen through the grain offering. And we can be at peace again with God as seen in this offering. Everything is logical. Everything is orderly. Everything has purpose in God's mind. And he's slowly showing us that so that we don't make the fundamental mistake that we can just go to the altar and make peace with God. Everything has to be done in his order. What a great God. If you've never called on Jesus, do it today. Start that process and then work through the others through the rest of your life honoring this wonderful God. Our closing verse today comes from Romans chapter 5. It's verses 1 and 2. Great stuff. Now listen to this. This is pointing right to what we just looked at. Therefore, having been justified by faith, right, the atonement, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul, thinking like a Hebrew, understanding this sacrificial system, says that we have been justified by faith, the daily burnt offering, and on top of that goes our peace offering. Everything fits. Everything fits when you understand the Old Testament. In the New, you read that and you say, oh, that's wonderful. But when you understand what God is showing them, it all fits so perfectly. All right, next week is Leviticus 4. It's verses 1 through 12. It won't be until part 2 that we get done. This one is entitled The Sin Offering, part 1. Okay, that'll be our fifth Leviticus sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? This, I want to tell you, this was a really, really difficult sermon for me to study because the details are so minute and I want to make sure that I get every picture of Christ I can out of there for you. And I went to bed that night, and I don't even remember putting my head on the pillow. It was so wonderful. I love nights like that, because you, you wake up the next morning, it's like, wow, it's all behind me. Well, wow, wonderful. But the, the uh, poem is, is uh, all 17 verses. Here we go. The peace offering. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So shall it be. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar completely. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, according to this word. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, you see. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove accordingly. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, quite nice. If his offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish, so shall it be according to each detail. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Yes, he shall do this thing. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. So shall it be. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar accordingly. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, its fat and the whole fat tail, 
which he shall remove close to the backbone, according to this word, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails too, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, paying heed to this word, so shall he do. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove, according to this word, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, as I now say, then he shall offer it before the Lord in the following way. He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. They shall not falter. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, according to this word. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys too. He shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. This thing he shall do. An offering made by fire for an aroma which is sweet. All the fat is the Lord's. Your following these directions shall be complete. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. You shall not do these things. Peace with God, full and complete, has come to us through the blood of Jesus. Once again, there is fellowship so sweet, marvelous things he has done for us. And so, O Lord, to you we give our heartfelt praise, and to you, O God, we shall sing out for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for these minute details, which are sometimes quite perplexing, but in the end, we know that they all point to Christ. Thank you for the fellowship that we have through our true peace offering, which is the fulfillment of these countless thousands which were offered on the altar in Jerusalem, that it is Jesus Christ our Lord who is our peace. Having made atonement for us, we now have fellowship with you once again. How wonderful that is. How good you are to us, O God, for this. Thank you for the people of this congregation who are willing to study these minute details and to understand them and to to want to know you in such a deep and intimate way so that when they go to the New Testament, they can say, I see just what Jesus did for me. Thank you for all those that attend online. Thank you for those that will watch this later on the internet as well and uh, that they're willing to pursue you. And may you heap a double blessing on them for their pursuit of your wondrous word. Lord God, you are so good to us. Please remember the prayers that we submitted to you earlier. We know that you do and attend to them according to your wisdom. And Lord, we want to give you lots and lots of praise all through our life and through all of our days. We want to praise you through the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.